right, so I need to refute something right from the start. It was April Fool's Day that I did my prank on my daughter. So if they if they're totally scarred from that, that's on them. That was one of my proudest dad moments ever. So uh but that's right, my name is Steve Lammers. I was the campus minister uh, with Reformed University Fellowship at UF from 2003 to uh, West Virginia 2014, so almost 11 years. And then I pastored for a while with, with Matt, and now I'm back. I'm in my second year, and I feel like a total rookie still. Uh, but I'm super grateful to be back. It's, it's right where God uh, has me, and I'm super grateful for our churches like you that support us uh, financially and, uh, and prayerfully. And I have cards. I'm going to be out here toward the end, and I'll have cards that if you're interested in being trained for me, for really for ministry, uh, or financially supporting the ministry that is greatly needed. So uh, I'll be out there. Come, come talk to me. Grab a prayer card or something else. All right. So we are going to read uh, Psalm 22 this morning, and as I as I think about Psalm 22, uh, I think about this question: Have you ever wondered what it would be like to sort of peek into uh, the, the curtain of what Jesus was feeling when he went to the cross? And just get a little peek into his heart and, and into his inner struggles as he is about to be crucified. Wouldn't that be just an amazing privilege? Psalm 22 gives us that privilege. It gives us this peek into the heart of Jesus uh, in his crucifixion and then later he leads to it after the resurrection uh, as well. And, and so it's important for us to realize that uh, Psalm 22, on the one hand, was uh, and is a a psalm uh, written by David, and it was about a, a real experience of suffering that he was going through, uh, and he writes in a way and metaphors that we can relate to in our suffering as well. So on the one hand, it was, it was certainly written by David about David's suffering. On the other hand, it was also a prophecy about Christ, and so this is actually the most quoted. Psalm in the entire New Testament. And the reason it's most quoted is because over and over again, the words that are here are attributed not only to David, but also to Jesus. And so I want to read uh, in that light. Do you customarily stand to read God's word? Then you don't have to stand. Psalm 22. Psalm 22, let's try to read this, we're going to meditate on this, I want to read it with a view to the first half of being about Christ, primarily about Christ's suffering, the second half being primarily about, I think also pointing to at least, Christ's uh, resurrection and his future generations of believers. So let's read that together. Psalm 22, to the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groans? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer me. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. 
cried and were rescued, and he knew that he trusted him and not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who seek me mock me. All who see me rather mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. That you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. I knew that cast from my birth, and from my father's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help me. Many bulls, speaking metaphorically, many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of nations surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the death and dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat at me, they divide my garments among them, and cast, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the dog, the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or ignored the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the congregation, my vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your heart live so. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord in the coming generations. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done. Let's pray together before we consider this some more. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we give you thanks and praise that you have not left us up to our own devices or imaginations as to what you would have us uh, here this morning, but that you, you, you've given us your word. And so we pray for for all of us that we would hear it. Uh, Lord, I don't know where people are this morning, spiritually, physically, uh, suffering, not suffering, whatever it might be. There are some here who I'm sure are suffering greatly. So would you give them comfort through this word? I'm sure there are some 
who are, are angry or cynical, Lord, would you give them joy? Would you give them uh, love? Would you give them, them trust? There's some here, I would assume, who are uh, naive. Would you give them wisdom? Some who are in relational conflict, would you give them genuine peace? Oh God, whatever it is needed, whether it's comfort, whether it's encouragement, whether it's conviction, would you, by your Holy Spirit, drive this word deep into our hearts? Through the name of Christ we pray. Amen. All right, uh, well, as a campus minister, one of my main jobs is to meet with students uh, to help them know Jesus better. And so sometimes those students are believers already, and the, the idea is to, you know, to grow deeper. Sometimes they're not believers, but they're curious. They're, they want to examine the claims of, of Christ more fully. And, and Greg was one of those students. Greg and I, we were getting together uh, for about a month talking about the death of Christ for sinners because he was, he was curious. He wanted to know more. And, and so uh, at one point I said, hey, let's, let's look at this. And he said, what? Uh, Psalm 22? So yeah, Psalm 22. And uh, I said, you know, let's, let's read it. He said, what's it about? Well, said, well, let's just read it, and you can tell me what you think it's about. So we, we read through, and, and uh, kind of asked him at the end, what do you think? And he was like, well, you know, pretty clearly about the death and resurrection of Jesus, right? And I was able to say, well, yes and no. No, because it was written hundreds of years, almost a thousand years before Jesus ever came and was crucified. But yes, in the sense that this is a prophecy in fulfillment uh, of, of what Jesus did. And, and so, you know, we, can, we continue to read it. And I said, hey, you know what? Since this is a prophecy of what's to come, let's turn over to Matthew 27. Well, well, I should just read the fulfillment of this. And if you've ever read these side by side, it's, it's almost like a mirror of, of what this is saying and what is fulfilled in Matthew 27 and other places in the gospel. And so at one point, Greg just kind of looks at me and goes, Hey, shut up. He said that in a good way. Like, shut up. Are you telling me this really was written hundreds of years before the events of the gospel? Like, yeah. Yeah, so we keep reading and and it comes to the point where Jesus directly quotes Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's up there on the cross. I can always remember this. Greg's jaw just dropped. Just sort of in awe. And he said, that is not what I expected Jesus to say. It's not what I expected. My prayer this morning, is that, is that you and I would be able to examine this text with the same kind of fresh eyes that Greg did, and that our jobs would go. And, and then we would see that everything in this text is unexpected. Everything in this text should be just absolutely awe-inspiring, that, that yes, on one hand, this is David who's writing about a real thing that he was going through, but all along, he was speaking in, in ways that were beyond his and beyond our experience, pointing to Jesus. And so, most fundamentally, yes, it, it is about David and, 
and those who trust are weak, but most fundamentally, we are their allies, we have no choices. But how Jesus died a death we would never accept. In doing so, he endured pain we could never endure. In order, in all of that, that we could inherit the same way we could never have. Death we could never expect, pain we could never endure, a family we could never have. That's the first thing. Uh, the death we would never expect in this passage. Remember, we said that this is written by David, but it was written at least 400 years before crucifixions uh, actually happened. Persia, Persia uh, invented crucifixion at least 400 years after they wrote this. And so they would have no, no reason whatsoever to know anything about crucifixion. And yet, David, very surprisingly, is writing in a way where he's describing just in a very detailed way what was happening as it was happening to him beyond his experience. And so I'll just read a couple, a, a few of these things that the text says. Uh, David says, A company of evildoers surrounds me. And then he uses this metaphor of his accusers. Murderers, as if they're animals. Right? So these, these bulls of Bashan, these lions that were surrounding me like animals. He says they're mocking me and also accusing me uh, and dividing my garments and casting lots from my clothes. My thumb sticks to my mouth at first. My bones are out of joint. My hands and feet have been pierced. Okay, this, this is not just talking about some sort of generic suffering. And some of it, yeah, sure, is a metaphor. But this, the scholars agree, for the most part, that this is, uh, they definitely agree that this is describing an, an execution. And more specifically, this is describing a crucifixion hundreds of years before crucifixions were invented. And what you think was more unexpected is, is, is this, that even from the biblical account, let's take history of it, even from the biblical account itself, we know that David did not die this way. Uh, his hands and feet were never pierced. Uh, he, he, you know, his bones were never out of joint like this. He wasn't laid in the dust of death. First Chronicles 29 actually says that when he, when he died, he was laid in bed. He was next to a beautiful woman in his castle uh, at an old age, at old age, both having enjoyed long life, wealth, and honor. So this doesn't sound like David, does it? It sounds like something that happened thousands, uh, thousands of years afterwards. And this is why in the New Testament, the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2 says this, that David wrote this, Psalm 22, as a prophet who foresaw and spoke about the Christ. He spoke about the Christ. And, and these words are words of, of Christ as well as, as David. And so it's this unexpected offer that David would describe the cross before it happened. But then it's also an unexpected cry or an unexpected subject, we would say, of these psalms. Because in verse 1, David prays and Jesus prays, Oh God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the word 
members of my army. And then he goes on and he describes some of the ways that maybe we feel when we are going through something. Uh, he, he says uh, essentially this, I'm paraphrasing. Uh, you know, God, you've, you've been good to other people. You've been good to my forefathers. When they trusted you, I trust you from my mother's womb. I've trusted you. And yet, it sure seems like you've forsaken me. You didn't put them to shame. You put me to shame. I'm a worm. That's how I feel. I'm a worm, not a man, the way that you uh, have forsaken me. Okay? Now, that, that reflects how David really felt in the midst of his suffering. It may reflect at times, as a way, that we feel. Uh, that, that he felt forsaken. We, we may feel at times just forsaken by God. But God, what are you doing in this season? Well, why aren't you here in this suffering with me? Or why do you allow this cancer in my life or the life of my loved ones? Why do you allow this disease? Why do you allow this, this evil thing, this awful thing to continue happen at my workplace? Why have you given me a boss like this that is causing me anguish? Why are you allowing this thing in my family to continue despite the fact that I pray and pray and, and, and pray? Why, right? And I say, why have you forsaken me in the midst of this? Let me just say, kind of a side note here, it's okay to pray like you feel forsaken by God, say, God, I feel forsaken by you. He already knows that's how you feel. He's a big God. He can handle it. And he's giving us, he's given us the Psalms, he's given us Lamentations precisely for this reason, so that we can simply be honest about how we feel before him. It's okay to do that. It's good to be honest and say, God, I feel forsaken in the midst of this and sweet before him. But here's what's beautiful. God didn't actually forsake David. God did not actually forsake his people in suffering like this. In fact, many times in the Bible it says the exact opposite. I will never leave you. I will never leave you or forsake you. And the reason we can trust him at his word when he says that is that he was willing to be forsaken for us. Unlike, unlike even the claims of any uh, major religion, our God was willing to be forsaken in our place, came down, and endured what we should have Jesus signed up to be forsaken so that we would never be forsaken. And we see this paired out in verses 7 and 8, uh, describing this, again, fulfilled in, in the New Testament. Uh, all who see me mock me, he says, and then in verse 8, this is fascinating, verse 8 is quoted in Matthew 27, unintentionally by the chief priests, by, by others who were, who were looking on and, and you're seeing Jesus on the cross, and they say this. They say, verse 8, all who see me, mock me, uh, Jesus said that. And then explicitly, it says, he trusts in the Lord. Jesus, he trusts.
trust in the Lord, let the Lord deliver Jesus. Let him rescue him. And yet what happened as Jesus was on the cross? God did not rescue him. God did not deliver him in that moment, at least. That is not what we would expect from the hero of the story. That he cries out for deliverance. He cries out in anguish. Being a perfect God-man. And the Father does not rescue him in those moments. That's an unexpected death. And let's say some more about how he also suffered in that, in that death. He suffered a pain we, we couldn't endure. <clears throat> and there's three types of pain uh, described in this text, again, fulfilled in, in the Gospels. The first was bodily pain. <clears throat> bodily pain. <clears throat> when, when the Persians invented crucifixion, they, they intended it to be absolutely excruciating on the body. But when the Romans adopted the practice of the Persians, when they started crucifying people, they perfected it. They perfected the torture. And they made it just the most physical and painful method of death known to man. So I, I, want, I, I don't want to get too gory here, but I, but I want us to just sort of place ourselves in the situation, uh, in the, in the First century, and, and think about what crucifixion actually was. What would have happened to him? First, he would have been beaten and ripped, often literally to the bone, where you see bone. Then they would, as you've heard, uh, take nails and and put those nails into uh, into your your hands and your feet onto a wooden cross, and they would take that and they would bring it. They would hoist it up. Stick it down into a hole with a joint. But the thing is, the idea was not that the, the nails were actually going to kill someone. The nails were just meant to make you feel the agony more. To, 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 to torture you more. Particularly because of the fact that what would happen is, in order to breathe, we know this some historical, we know some by physicians who looked into it, in order to breathe, you had to lift yourself up on these nails just to get another uh, another breath of air. Just to feel like you're not being waterboarded, right? To say that much. And then you go back down. And then you do it again. And you get just sort of ripping at your muscles and your tendons. And then you do it long enough after, after hours and hours of this and to the point where, where your muscles and your shoulders would just have nothing left. And so often, shoulders would be dislocated. It would, the bones would come out of the joint. Hours upon hours of this, barely able to breathe, until finally, you couldn't lift yourself up, and you couldn't breathe. And so exhaustion and dehydration would just cause you to either to smother Depending on how you read, maybe there uh, was also a heart attack involved. Just horrific pain. But that's what this cell describes. 
Listen again. This one will be crazy. I am poured out like water. Right? That's Jesus' blood being poured out from his whippings, from the crown of thorns, from the piercing of his hands and his feet, from eventually when he died, the, the water and blood coming out of his side and his spirit. And then it says, all my bones are out of joint. Again, consistent with what would often happen. It says, my strength is dried up like a potsherd, that's a dehydrated clay. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. Right? All, all the blood loss causing dehydration. This is where you may remember Jesus said on the cross, what? I thirst. I thirst. Extreme dehydration and torture and suffocation ultimately leading to death. Okay, now, why did Jesus' body have to be tortured like that? Because the New Testament teaches us, the whole Bible teaches us, that our sin is not just with our souls. Is with our bodies as well. And we, we read it actually this morning. Not intentionally, but uh, praise God, we read it. Uh, 1 Peter 2 24 says that because, you know, because our sin is in uh, our bodies as well as our souls, Jesus, quote, had to bear our sin in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, his bodily wounds, you who believe. You are healed. See, our sin made it necessary that Jesus endure this, this physical bodily pain as well. But, but then it wasn't just bodily pain. It, it was also what we might call uh, emotional pain. One of the reasons for this kind of emotional pain was, was what we know from history is that, that the Romans did not uh, allow you to wear clothing when you went to the cross. It's a little different from the pictures that we typically see. I'm not going to see pictures that, that don't have Jesus' full picture. And yet, it's very, very likely that he was not crucified with a one cloth. He was crucified naked. And the reason for that is, is the Romans, they wanted to humiliate you in whatever way possible. They wanted people to mock your naked body, your naked, eventually deformed body. And you just... Just imagine the emotions. And this is why, by the way, the pastor says they divided his clothes among them. They stripped his clothes from him. And then it says this, they stare and gloat over him. Could you imagine how that would feel? Just emotionally. Being objectified like that. And then what's worse, early on, just speaking of emotions, What's worse is, is the passage says, you know, in the midst of all this, there is none to help. In the midst of all of this, it, it just it's complete unjust suffering. Jesus emotions and, and there's none to help. That's borne out in the gospels, right? Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is pouring out drops of blood out of just the anguish of knowing that the, the cup of God's wrath is. And the disciples 
gave them a lot of emotional support. No, they didn't give them a lot of emotional support. They could be modern family. And then, when he actually went to the cross, what happened? All of his friends abandoned him. And in, in the moment of deepest need, and this is probably why this psalm says, my heart is like wax, is melted within my breast. His heart is it, just breaking. And he said, there is none to help. None to help. All right, if you've, if you've never been abandoned, truly, truly hurt by someone you love, someone you consider a great friend, it's going to be a little hard to relate to what is being said, to relate to what Jesus is experiencing. But if you have really been hurt, or you had a spouse abandon you, or you had children abandon you, and they've been estranged from you, you might look at this and go, yeah, that's exactly how it feels. It feels like my heart is melting like wax. It, it feels like my heart is just swollen and, and, and dying. And I just want to say this, if that's the place you're in, or maybe you're just the drive home what's happening here, I hope I, I can encourage you to say, our God understands that experience better than any of us do. He learns it experientially on the cross. God said to the Father, 
Father, I want you to treat me as if I've done all those horrible things and they've done. As if I've thought all the horrible things they've thought this week. And at that moment, the Heavenly Father forsook His Son, poured out His infinite wrath on His Son, experienced hell in the space of the cross for our sins, so that we could be forgiven. But here's what's even better. I mean, it's horrific for Jesus. It's wonderful for us that we get forgiveness because Jesus took the punishment we deserve. Here's what's even better about it. He said, treat me like I've done what they've done. But then he, then he also essentially says, but not treat them as if they have done what I've done. Credit them with my perfect righteousness. So when God thinks of you, he does not see your sin. When he, when he looks at you, if you're a believer in Jesus, he goes, you fed the 5,000. You raised Lazarus from the dead. You had perfect compassion on people. You loved the Lord your God perfectly in every single way throughout your life. And so, all that is left of you is not wrath, but love. Perfect love. Even when he disciplines us, instead of love, instead of wrath. So that gives us the last point. That Jesus died of death, we never expect. I'm here this story. He underwent a pain we can never endure so that we would be credited with righteousness. So that what? So that ultimately we can inherit a family we can never own. So, so that we would be adopted as sons, as sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father and inherit all the same privileges, all the same rights as Jesus himself, all the same intimacy as God's Son, we can get as his adopted sons and daughters. And we see this in verse 22 as well. And I don't have time to, to look at all of this, all the things that happened post-resurrection uh, and, and his prosperity, but we, we see a part of this, verse 22 and following. This is after David had uh, been delivered from suffering. He said, I will tell of your name to my brothers. To my brothers. Uh, in the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. Okay, now again, those words are originally David's words. But the New Testament picks that up. Uh, specifically, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. And quotes this verse in Psalm 22. It says, These words ultimately are the words that Jesus spoke when Jesus was raised from the dead. When Jesus rose, he said, I will tell of your name to my brothers. And emphatically, in those same two verses, Jesus is, is described as, as saying, I am not ashamed to call them brothers. To call them family. But here's the question. Who's the family? David's group would become the family of God. He, he says, 
that, that there is. There are people who are yet unborn. Speaking of the prophet in Psalm 22. People who are yet unborn. From where? From all the ends of the earth. From all the ends of the earth. Does that sound familiar? Two times after Jesus was raised from the dead, he said, I'm going to do, you know, I want this to go, I want this message of my resurrection to go out to the ends of the earth. Hold I'll be with you to the ends of the earth. I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so here's the fulfillment of, of this prophecy of, of Psalm 22 that anyone from anywhere with anything, if you come to Jesus, if you trust in Him, you'll be adopted into His family. You'll have God as your loving Father. You'll have, and don't mean this as an exaggeration, you have available to you in part now and for all eternity as well. You have, as a child, adopted child of God, through faith in Him, you have access all, all the blessings, all the privileges, all the intimacy with the Father that Jesus Himself has. My excuse is to give you this day. You are, if you're one who would trust in Jesus, God the Father smiles on you as an adopted son or daughter. In the same way that he smiled upon Jesus, when, 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 when he says to Jesus in, in, in this crowd, This is my son, with whom I am well pleased, those are the words he says to his adopted sons and daughters as well. Beautiful thing. And we can't earn that privilege. But we can't be good enough. That. The good news is Jesus was good enough for us, and He took the, the wrath enough to earn it for us by dying death in no respect, by enduring our pain. We could not endure the wrath of God in order to inherit a family we can never earn. Many of you know uh, of Tim Keller. Keller, uh, you, you may also know, uh, died uh, just a few weeks ago uh, after a long bout with pancreatic cancer. And, uh, you know, and, and in which he suffered tremendously. And Keller just had a, just an outsized impact on me. Uh, I can't even describe. So, what I decided to do this month is just go back and just hear some. Sermons from him, sort of re-listen to some of the things, re-read uh, some of his books, and I read in particular his book on walking with God through pain and suffering. What I noticed is there's this refrain in his, in his sermons and in his uh, in his book about what it is that Jesus suffered, and what he what he does. He sort of invites us in to think of, of what it would be like if you were at the foot of the cross. Watching the, the evil and suffering that is being done to Jesus. He said, I want you to just imagine that you're, that you're there, you have, you know, for 
for your whole time of knowing Jesus, you have loved him. You've befriended him. You've followed him everywhere. You've been his disciple. You've been amazed at how perfect he is, how wonderful he is, how he loves people absolutely perfectly. And then there you are. You're at the foot of the cross. And you see what's being done there. You see the horrors. You see that it is unjust. It is being done to a perfectly faithful man. And what you could have done, Father said, you could have looked at that and said, I cannot see how anything good could possibly happen to me. You could have looked at that and, and gone, like many of us would, how can I possibly trust a God who would do that? How can I possibly believe that a God exists who is both loving and gracious and all-powerful? Surely that, that can't be, right? And, and you might you might lose your faith. You might walk away. Because you go, this is the worst thing God could ever do with evil and suffering. But if you did that, you would actually miss the greatest thing that God has ever done to eradicate evil and suffering in this world. The greatest thing He has ever done to eradicate evil and suffering is to, to pour out that suffering on Jesus for our evil. And to guarantee that one day, because of that, precisely because of that, there would be a day where there would be no more evil and suffering. There would be no more tears. There would be no more cancer. There would be no more uh, things like what are happening uh, in your family or your workplace or wherever it is where there is suffering. And I, I couldn't help but think, as I was reading some of these and hearing these sermons, I couldn't help but think, all those who trust in the Lord are with Jesus now. And then you wonder, I wonder, I wonder how Keller's feeling about his books and his sermons right now. I think he would be going, it's so much better than I described. It is, it is, my words did not do justice to, to the, the glory that is revealed here. My, my suffering was nothing in that life compared to the glory that I am then seeking now. To compare to this, this reality that I'm with my true family. And that is true intimacy with my Heavenly Father and with my brother Jesus. My primary prayer, praying this second, is that, that this would sink deeper into our hearts, that we would believe this in such a way that we don't just sort of nod, glad Jesus died for me. But that it would change us from the inside out, knowing that we have this kind of Savior and this kind of Heavenly Father who would love us enough to sign up for that kind of Let's pray that we would believe that. You would change us. Oh Lord Jesus, we, we thank you that you were in fact willing to endure the kind of pain that we just described, that we just seen.
Psalm 22 that is fulfilled uh, in the gospel accounts. That, that physical pain, that emotional pain, the spiritual pain uh, in our place. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you were that last removing sacrifice for all who would place their trust, not in their works, but in yours. We thank you that you do not view us as our sins deserve, but you view us as family. All sins we need to do. Credited with righteousness before you. That you delight over your children with singing. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you give us faith to do that? There are some in this room who believe this already, and we pray, Lord, uh, I do believe, help my unbelief. Change my perspective on what I'm going through in light of the cross. There are others here who are still examining the claims of Christ for them. I pray, Lord, that you would grant them faith and repentance, that you would draw them near to you, that their jaws would drop, even knowing that there is a claim out there, that you would come in to, to suffer uh, on behalf of sufferers. I also pray, Lord, that for those who are going through difficulties in whatever way they might be, Lord, that they would be uh, emboldened to, to cry out and to be comforted by this reality that you are a high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. Oh Lord, change us even now, even, even right now. In these moments, we know that you are able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, so we pray for that. Now, by your Spirit, and through the name of